Martin, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to have you here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So Martin, if you could start by just talking a little bit about yourself at Just Capital. Sure. So I'm the CEO. Just was formed about 10 years ago by Paul Tudor Jones, Deepak Chopra, Ariane Huffington, Ray Chambers, a whole bunch no of people who, yep. who really care very deeply about business, about capitalism, but are also very active as philanthropists. And they felt that the private sector basically had to do more if we're going to really address societal challenges. And we can talk more about that later. So they had a dream. Uh, it was called Just Capital, and they hired me to try and bring it to life. So the real um, sort of ethos behind it is that to enact real change, basically you need money flowing in the right directions. So if you can get capitalism and shake it and get money going towards the businesses that are you know, behaving in the correct way, then you're going to get a self-fulfilling, uh, this kind of self-fulfilling momentum that other companies will then try to aspire to be those. I think businesses will act out of self-interest. So mm. what we want to try and do is provide the incentives. You know, why should companies today think about investing in climate solutions? Why should they think about investing in their you know, human capital or communities that need good jobs? They'll do that because it will help them be better businesses. And so we try to lift up leadership. We try to provide those incentives that the market needs in order to reward companies for leadership of that type. Mm. Because we live in a free market economy, the market needs information and data mm. on how companies are actually doing those things. That's what Just Capital provides. We provide the information on which companies are leading on creating value for different stakeholders, which companies could perhaps do a better job. Mm -hmm. You know, what are the stories of change? And most importantly, what is, what's the business case? You know, what, what is the relationship to market performance, um, competitive positioning and things like that? So Martin, for this conversation, I'd love to start sort of bigger picture and then we'll na narrow down a little. What do you think really drives, I know this is a big question, but what really drives major so social and cultural change? Well, it's, it's obviously many things. I think we have some basic sort of human traits that don't change and haven't changed since the ancient Phoenicians were trading. Right. Um, all the way through, you know, the joint stock company, the East India Company, all the way through major changes in how we structure markets, stock market, you know, the equity markets and so on and so forth. I think where we're at today is a period of perhaps more intense transformation where the role of business in society is being questioned um, the role of capitalism, is it working? And is it working for enough people? Mm. We do a lot of public opinion research and we know that society expects more of business, wants business to do more, um, wants a path for themselves you know, and their families to build wealth and mm. drive prosperity and and so on and so forth. So there's some enduring things that haven't changed, but I think we're in a moment now where sort of feels like social, political, cultural forces are coming together, and they're particularly coming together around this idea of business in society. When you think about big business, do you feel that, do, is it ingrained in them now that they have a responsibility to treat their employees a certain way, to treat the environment a certain way, or are they still far too focused on returning money to shareholders effectively? And how do you try and align those two those two things? Well, it's interesting the way you phrase that because you, you you positioned it as either they do that or they make money. Well, There's well, almost I, a choice, and I don't I don't I think this, the premise of how a company makes money mm. 
is is shifting. You know, today there's a lot of money to be made in environmental solutions. You know, in addressing the climate challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of a lot of value to be created by attracting, retaining, advancing your best talent. Um, so I don't see those those things as a trade-off. I mean, I'll give you an example. I actually had a friend of mine who's starting a company recently, and it was um, it was food delivery, and they were going to charge if they could. It, it was the the pots that they were going to serve their salads in. Um, if they got them from China, it was going to cost them four dollars, and if they got them locally, it was going to cost them six dollars. So they could, to start out, and this is a startup, they could either be more sort of, you know, environmentally friendly and get them locally and not make as much or get them from China to start with and, and get them uh, and get them much cheaper. So those kind of decisions is, is what I'm talking about when it's yeah. like, do I, am I trying to make more money or am I trying to be more responsible? Yeah, and that sort of capital allocation decision has to be seen in the context of the overall business, right? Mm. So if your friends in a startup situation and margins are razor thin, and they they feel like okay, this is where we're going to source now in order to to stay alive, to have a viable business. If that's mm-hmm. the difference maker, then the pressure's on, really, quite honestly, to source the Chinese uh, pots. Yeah, probably because that incentive is really around the, their survival. I, I think, though, you could look at it another way, which is you know there are many things that we think will make this company great. One of them is our, envir- our, brand, our, our environmental brand. Mm-hmm. We want to market ourselves as you know, an environmental leader, as part of the product. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll attract and retain consumers who have more loyalty to us because of right. that. Yeah. I'm not sure that they would pay more for the, for the, for the product. Mm. Um, but certainly, you could position the company's brand in a different way, and maybe there's premium pricing. I, I don't know. But So the context of the business, it's a bit like um, investing in workers raising wages mm-hmm. you know we often see companies say we're going to you know give frontline workers uh you know higher pay higher, higher hourly hourly wage and wall street sort of objects to that and yet when you see companies now investing in their workforce investing in training upskilling you know there's a return on that and so if you're looking over the long term you think about capital allocation, the return of, of making those kinds of investments, whether it's the environmentally friendly, locally sourced pots, mm-hmm. or whether it's lifting wages in the workforce. Like, how do you think about that in the long-term business context? Let's talk a little bit about um, why are some issues more successful than others, whether it's um, gay marriage or whether it's um, using less plastic or whether it's locally sourced. Why do some environmental and social issues sort of fast to be sort of uh, brought into practice and why are some slower? That's a tough question. It's hard to, I don't think there's one, mm. one answer to that. I think where you have a broad alignment in society, where you have strong, large amount of agreement across perhaps different demographic, political, social lines, where you see right, business, yeah. sort of, you don't see major divisions ex- exploiting an issue. Like I, I sort of see some of those examples you gave, you had kind of general agreement that actually this is how we as a, as a society want to be. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of political opposition, many businesses in support. And so we see that now at Just Capital, for example, with uh, investing in workers. Mm-hmm. You know, across political lines, age, income, race, wherever we go in the country, we see 
society, the public saying, invest more in your people. Mm-hmm. And now you have business leaders investing more in people. And you have the returns of those investments start to manifest themselves. So there's more of an incentive to do that. So it becomes less controversial to do that. Mm. But you also get, you know, divisive issues, which I think, you know, can be driven by lots of different things. Politics today, obviously, um, where it's not clear what the path forward looks like. So progress, if if you will, tends to happen when you have this sort of alignment. Mm. And, you know, that's, you know, we see that happen in some areas and in other areas not right now. I remember a quote from Herb Kelleher, Southwest Airlines uh, guy, and he was saying when he looked for successful companies to invest in, was it the products, was it the clients, or was it your own employees? And he said he always looked for companies who invested in their own employees because the other two will follow on from that. Is that something that that you agree with? Absolutely. When it comes to 100%, Jamie. I mean, that, you know, one of our advisors um, is Hubert Jolie, who uh, orchestrated the Best Buy turnaround. Right. And it's a really interesting story if you want to think about people and profit. Mm. You know, I don't know the Best Buy story, but yeah, he, he well, they were under th- threat as a business. You know, they're obviously a big box retailer, mm. and like most major, you know, uh, big box retailers, were facing threats from uh, Amazon mm-hmm. in particular, the online retailers. Yeah, exactly. And so he decided to have a people first strategy when he took over CEO. He sort of put on the Best Buy. T-shirt, or you know, the, and he worked down on the front on the on the in the store, wow. and he was asking the frontline workers um, for their ideas on how to make the customer experience better, and he really that was his path to your point to uh, you know better financial performance and high profit profit. So um, anyway, he wrote a book about it, mm-hmm. and it's it's just a great case study in how exactly thinking about the people angle. You know, I was in private equity and venture capital earlier in my career, and we always looked at the people factor. It was the mm. human factor in business. Mm. Uh, even as a CEO of a small company myself, um, our performance, our success is driven by our people. So the culture yeah, within it. Absolutely. What was it Peter Drucker said? You know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yeah, yeah, you know? very good. Exactly. I'm going to steal that off you, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so talking specifically about ESG, it felt like that was a very hot topic in 2020. Um, there was a lot of uh, media uh, attention on the subject of ESG. The pandemic shook, shook up so many things. Um, and where do you feel we are now on, on the ESG journey and uh, what needs to happen for us to sort of take the next next leg up? Yeah, you're right. The last few years, I would say going back to probably 2017, 18, you couldn't go to a conference without major panels on ESG. Look, mm. I've been in that space for... Gosh, since the late 90s. So I've seen it go from, uh, you know, a conversation in a room not much bigger than this one, Mm. where you could fit the entire industry in. uh, To (laughs) To them being the main topic at Davos. Exactly. It had a sort of feeling for me of being a bit bubbly. You know, there are a lot of people moving into the space, a lot of confusion around terminology, sustainable investing, ESG, stakeholder capitalism, social impact, impact investing. Corporate responsibility was that. Was there too much lip service coming into this this world? Were people sort of saying green things to sound more environmentally friendly? But you know, you needed to look at their actions more than what they were saying to be clear on, on where they stood. Yeah, mm. in, in a word. I mean, I think you know, there's a lot of authentic actors who are really seeing ESG as a way to think about investment risk mm. and performance, how to measure that, how to get a handle 
on how climate, for example, mm -hmm. was going to affect their portfolio over the long term. Totally legitimate. Mm. Really important thing to do if you're forward-thinking, long-term investor. But there are also, I think, many managers who felt like this is a way to gather assets. This is a way to uh, charge more. Mm -hmm. You know, we've seen fee compression come down across the market. This is a way to resist that. Mm. And then you have to ask, to what end? Was this flow of capital actually producing outcomes on the underlying environmental and social issues? Mm -hmm. Was that their was that their goal at all? So there's a and lot. That, is the disclosure good enough now that we know those answers or not yet? No, I don't think so. I mean, we, we, we see, not in a macro sense, we see progress mm. at the individual company level. Mm. I mean, we, that's what we do at Just Capital. You know, we're tracking now what companies are doing on, you know, investing in their different stakeholders, their, their workforce, the communities, um, you know, their customers, the environment. So we are monitoring progress on a year-on-year, quarter-by-quarter basis. Mm. And I can tell you, honestly, Jamie, hundreds of companies across all the things that we measure are improving each and every day. We, and we're seeing data on that. You know, is that producing the kind of outcomes on a systemic level? You know, are levels of income inequality coming down? Starting to see some evidence of that as mm -hmm. wages increase. Um, are we really making a dent in climate change and industrial greenhouse gas emissions? Not so much. Are big business doing enough? Are big tech innovating enough in the right directions to, to help the world get to that place? So let's start with the, with, with the Paris objective, mm. net zero by 2050. Uh, we're tracking companies sort of making those pledges. Mm. How many companies are releasing data and reporting on their emissions uh, trajectories? It's hard to know, is it enough? You know, it's very difficult to actually, you know, really sense how companies are doing against their commitments. Are we really tackling the major sources of emissions around the world? And is technological advancement uh, happening fast enough so that um, when we get into 2030, 2040, which mm -hmm. is really when the chips are down, mm -hmm. are we on track? Mm. And at this point, it's just hard, it's, it's hard to know. Yeah. We don't know for sure. And we don't see enough transparency of, of major emitters yet to really be able to know that company's on a path to net zero or that company's on a path to a, you know, a one or a two degree warming scenario? Mm -hmm. Like that's a really interesting question. Mm. Could you, for example, measure which companies are taking us to an actual warming scenario that scientists tell us, you know, is manageable and which companies are actually taking us to a three or four degree or more warming scenario? Yeah, and actually make that public and then let the shareholders decide where they want to be putting their money. Right, exactly. So it's difficult right now in terms of the, you know, are we investing in the right kind of technologies? I, I, I see a lot of money flowing into technology. You see a huge amount of, you know, the market potential, but how much of that is real? How much of that will generate a return? And, you know, what's the market also for climate adaptation? Mm -hmm. Now, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of solutions that deal with rising sea levels and increasing storm intensity and things like that. A few more just capitals around and, and hopefully that will accelerate things. Yeah. I hope so. That, that would be great. That's the whole idea to try and speed yeah. those things up. So I want to talk about just capital a bit more, but you just mentioned AI there um, on both a personal and a professional level. Are you excited about the uh, um, about the progress we're making in AI, or do, are you nervous around certain areas? Again, it's both. Um, you know, a lot of people who know way more than about AI than I do are very worried about um, sort of uncontrolled expansion of 
generative artificial intelligence. Mm. In conversations now about whether GPT-4 is conscious or not, which sort of begs the question, well, what, what does that mean? What does being conscious mm. mean? Does it, is it the same as having a conscience? And well, so, 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 so if you think of AI, we've opened Pandora's box. Mm. That's, that can be worrying. But I also see incredible innovation happening around AI helping in education, you know, where... Medicine, research. Medicine and research, exactly. You know, you might, we might have an AI-driven personal doctor at some point, a personal they can, physician. They can fix, fix our leg injuries. Help your knee, my ankle, <laughs> everything else, exactly. Um, that knows everything about our medical history yeah. and everything about, you know, um, health and how we can be much more focused on preventive medicine. So anyway, many examples of very positive impacts on society and so that's, that's a, I think, a cause for great optimism. But, but at the moment, it's just so unknown. Well, I, I feel there are maybe some parallels with social media. I remember when social media came along, it was going to be this great thing that was going to unite us all. But I guess we overlooked the fact that there will always be bad actors. And is there things we can learn from social media instead of the, the trolling and the abuse that can go online, you know, behind hidden doors? Things we should be doing now uh, as the dawn of, of AI uh, comes to us to, to prevent those bad actors from having access to this technology? I mean, we have to. Mm. We have to. Uh, I, I, I think government intervention is inevitable. I think business wants it in this case. Mm. There seems to be a push. Yes, that is a big difference, actually. You I, see I, the leaders asking for it. Yeah, and I think we'll, we'll be there in probably three, six, 12 months. Whether it's enough, you know, I, I could see, for example, every time we see uh, an image or some content generated by AI, there's a mark there, so you know. Mm. Um, but as you say, it, it, is it enough? Is it gonna help, is it gonna stay ahead of the bad actors? Mm. And is it going to create unintended consequences? Are we gonna, are we gonna, how do we incentivize more just AI usage? This is mm -hmm. why we at Just Capital have been so focused on this, you know, mm. really trying to define what is just AI, corporate AI application and usage look like? Yeah. What is unjust yeah. uh, applications look like? We did the same across other issues. You mentioned social media. Is it making teenagers unhappy? Right. Mm. And as a father of, you know, four, yeah. uh, you know, have been through the social media changes and witnessed some of that firsthand, some of the, some of the negative impacts firsthand, you really worry. And you see the numbers across the board of, of how you know, it's what it's done to, you know, teenage girl, body image, things like that. It sort of brings out the worst in people, mm. you know. And so how do you control for that? Is that, how do you control for human nature? You know, how do we think about the social impacts of major technological change? How do we prevent that, though? I mean, I'm a father of two and they're, they're much, much smaller. And I, I worry about them when they get older. But as a father of four who've been through that teenage period, were there times where you sat back and wished social media just didn't exist? Yeah. Absolutely. Do you think they would have had a more enjoyable childhood without it? I mean, look, I sit around with people my age, 50s, uh, you know. We had a great time. We had a great time. <laughs> we were left to go and play and no one ever knew where we were. Yeah. And yeah. Sure, sure. You, you th but, but I think every generation. It's looks, tough, isn't it, you with know, technology because technology helps us in so many ways. And yet there's so many areas of it where we kind of wish. Or, or maybe do we just always, you know, does, does, does hindsight have these rose-tinted glasses? I don't know. I think, yeah, we sort of look to the generation to, to sort of try and figure that out. Mm -hmm. And you have to 
hopefully equip people with the tools, the emotional tools, mental health. You know, we're very focused on mental health, emotional health these days, quite rightly. I think the pandemic has really yeah. spotlighted yeah. that as an issue. And we're much more aware of that. And it's much less taboo around talking about mental health. Yeah. Um, even for, you know, for guys like us. I mean, I think it's really important that that happen. So are we equipping people to address the downside impacts, the negatives of the technological advances that they're going to face? You know, that's that's all you can really do. I, I, you know, I think, and, and, you know, climate is another example of a challenge that, you know, future generations really going to face. Yeah. And, and you know, are we... Are we sort of laying the foundation stones for that to happen? Yeah, that's that's I think a really important question. Feels like we've got uh, we've got a shot to 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 bring this under control, but we haven't got long. Um, Martin, I wanted to ask more specifically about Just Capital. Uh, you mentioned some pretty big names, uh, people who started the company along with you, Ariana Huffington, uh, Paul Tudor Jones. What does the future for Just Capital look like? Um, are you raising money now? Uh, I know you've got the Just ETF. How are you going about marketing it? How are you trying to drive, um, you know, drive an, a, a, you know, an increase in assets under management? So just, just, just to be clear, no pun intended, just is a 501c3 not-for-profit. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So we, um, we do it, we, we poll the public to ascertain how do people think about this idea of a just company? So, Com- so public opinion is a big part of what you do. Absolutely. I think we've done... I think we've really, it's a key differentiator for us. We are, we've probably got some of the best data out Mm. there on how Main Street America thinks about business today. And we're constantly taking the pulse of the public on key issues. So we don't define what a just company is. The public defines it. Mm. We then track how big publicly traded companies are performing on the public's priorities. With that, we create investment products, which we partner with asset managers, asset owners to do that. We have invested a lot in media and the narrative. Our partnership with CNBC, for example, you know, we really get the stories of business leadership out there because mm. that's, that, that's a big sort of part of the incentive. We work with other nonprofits. We work with other civil society organizations, academia and so on, uh, on programs. And increasingly, which I think is really exciting, we're working with companies, Mm. the companies that we rank. You know, the companies want to be better. So they come to us to say, hey, what does leadership look like? How can I benchmark myself? Give me the data to help me figure out what the game plan can look like at Mm. my company. And you actually disseminate best practice advice to these companies. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we have programs um, in very specific areas that, that are really driving change at scale. So you asked me about the future of Just. Yes, we want to influence as much capital as possible. We want investment partners who want to take our data and use that to drive performance, financial performance, mm. but also real impact. Mm. We've really made, I think, some of our most substantial advances in the S of ESG, if you will, around mm-hmm. yeah. human capital and society and communities and workers in particular, because those are the things that matter most to the public. So we're always focused on trying to like I say, influence as much capital as we can. But really for just, it's about scale. We want to be the preeminent organization that is trusted as an objective source of 
data and information on how companies are creating value for stakeholders. That's mm. what we want to be. Mm. And we want to be not just that in America, we'd love to do that around the world as My well. World. So scale for us, reaching as many people in the public as we can, driving as many, uh, as much change with businesses as we can, influencing as much capital as we can, and really trying to get the global private sector much more focused on tackling, you know, underlying societal challenges as possible. Well, Martin, it's um, it's very uh, uplifting speaking to you. I wish Just Capital all the best and yourself the best. And thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. It's been my pleasure. Thank you.